The following audio is recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is a part of our series in 1 Corinthians. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Good morning, church. Some of you, after hearing that text read, well, what is he going to say now? Um, <laughs> I hope you are doing well. It is such an incredible opportunity that we have to walk through the Bible together as a church. It's one of the joys of life. Um, one of the things that we do as a church, if you're new with us, welcome. Uh, but one of the things that we do as a church here is we typically, what we will do is just walk through books of the Bible together. Um, we, we do this for a lot of reasons. We, we do this, one, because we believe that Scripture is our ultimate authority, not any one person. So it doesn't really matter what you know, I or anyone else says about a subject. We want to know what God says about it, and so this kind of elevates Scripture to that. Uh, number two is we believe it'll give us the ability, as just followers of Jesus, that as we teach this way, as we learn this way, to be able to handle our Bibles better on our own that it'll grow our biblical literacy, if you will. Um, and lastly, the reason we do this and the reason I bring this up is because we get a well-rounded diet as a church. When, when we walk through what the text brings up, it, it protects us from being a hobby horse church um, to just dwell on certain passions and forget others, which is nothing wrong with our passions, uh, but, but hear me, um, when we walk through the Bible like this, the Bible's going to take us through things that, um, let me just be honest with you as your pastor, I probably wouldn't have picked this text, and that's good. That is okay, but as we spend time with this text, what we're going to find out is, um, as difficult as this text may be, it is exactly what we need to hear. This is... Um, it won't be the most popular topic, and so if you're a guest with us, I love you, um, but we're going to have a good time. As we look through this, we're going to walk through this. It's going to be a timely text for us, and one more thing I say, I'll say, and then I want us to pray together, um, is that when we come to God's word, when we, when we approach this, um, it's not for us to cherry pick. And what I mean by that is it's not for us to approach this kind of like a grand and glorious buffet line where we take what is awesome and we kind of, eh, don't want that, right? We, this, it, when we approach God's word, it's our task to just sit under the whole counsel of it, unaltered, unedited, unchanged, that we submit to it. And so the attitude that we need to have as we approach this and the attitude we need to have when we come to God's word is one of humility, not wanting to edit it or to change it or anything. But our prayer is that we would be edited by it, changed by it, um, altered by it. And so to that end, I, I wanna pray for our time together this morning. Church, would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for our church. Thank you for bringing us together um, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you help us fight our temptation to ignore or to edit, and instead, would you just give us wisdom and courage and allow your word to change us? Would you help us, Lord, to trust you and to trust that you are good, that your word is good, and that you love us? Would you give us the courage 
to be changed by your word. And Lord, we love you and we ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts this morning for your glory and um, Lord, for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So hopefully you found your place in, in 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 5. This is a fairly short chapter. It is 13 verses, so we are going to fly, so buckle up. Um, let, me, let us begin in, in right off the beginning, right at the beginning in verse 1. Paul says, it is actually reported that there is sexually, sexual immorality among you. I love this actually. Like, this actually was reported. This shows that Paul is a bit surprised by this, because as we've talked about, Corinth was notorious for being a city that um, elevated this kind of sin. It was known for it. it, it as we talked about it, um, this would be like modern-day modern New York City and modern-day Las Vegas came together, and that's a good picture of what Corinth uh, ancient Corinth would have looked like. It's difficult to plant churches in this city. Uh, but this is why Paul says, it's actually reported me that there is sexual, Im- sexual immorality among you, and listen to this, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. So Paul is astounded. He is, he is just astounded by the sheer fact that this church in the city that we just talked about is outdoing them <laughs> um, in this particular sin. It, it, this church is accepting things that were making the community uncomfortable. This church was tolerating things that even Corinth didn't tolerate. Specifically in this situation, Paul is referencing a man, a member of the Corinthian church, a man in the church who is having ongoing and inappropriate relationships with his stepmother um, in a way that was known. This wasn't secret. It was known. And other than the general ickiness of this, um, I just want to be direct in saying this man was living a life directly counter to God's word. Not only was it icky, but it was commanded, and he was going against that. We see it in many places. Um, let me just show you one. Let's look at Deuteronomy 27, uh, 20. It says, curse be anyone. This will be on the screen, so don't worry about uh, finding it. Uh, curse be anyone who lies with his father's wife, because he has uncovered his father's nakedness. So this is explicitly stated. You don't have to wonder. It's not a gray area. It's a thou shalt not. Right, a thou shalt not. And beyond that, um, I, I do want to make sure that we realize this sin was not done in kind of private or in shame. This was done in an open, it was known by and it was known in the community. Follow me? This is important as we lay the groundwork for our text. This was blatant, it was openly known, it was an open lifestyle that was tolerated here in the church. And this is why Paul writes, it is actually reported to me. This is actually reported to me. And, and what is the church's response? Well, we don't have to wonder. Paul tells us, verse two, and you are arrogant. Paul says, you are arrogant. So here's what's happening. The Corinthian church was not only accepting of this sin, they were boasting in their tolerance of it. 
They were arrogantly accepting this sin. There was a pride in their tolerance. Look at us. Look at how open we are. Look at how loving we are. Look at how accepting we are. Look at how tolerant we are. And Paul says, you are arrogant. And then he adds, ought you not rather to mourn? Paul says, you shouldn't celebrate your tolerance. You should not celebrate your acceptance of this sin. You shouldn't have that kind of pride. Instead, Corinthians, you should be broken. You should be broken. This should drive you to your knees. You should be mourning. We're going to get into kind of modern day application from this, but when we're faced with sin, what's our response? What's our response to it? Are we broken by it? What's our heart in response to sin? Do we weep? Do we mourn over it? Paul says, are we not to mourn? Paul starts with this gut check, because if we're ever going to hope to have the right action to take in response to sin in the church, it must begin with the right heart. It must begin with the right heart first. Paul says, your heart, you should be broken should be broken for this. It should cause you to mourn. And in response um, to sin, we shouldn't be arrogantly accepting it. We shouldn't be ignoring it. We shouldn't be um, just taking kind of a indifferent. No, it should break our hearts when there is sin in the camp. And from this place of brokenness, then Paul leads us to action. In verse 2, it says, and you are arrogant, ought you not ready to mourn? Now from, from this, from this, he moves us into, um, into action. And I want to I put one thing in front of, in front of you before we, before we read this. This was written, church. This letter was written not to the leaders or the pastors of the Corinthian church. This text was written to the church as a whole. And I want you to hear me. Uh, Paul is not writing here rebuking this man. This letter is not a rebuke to this man who is in this ongoing sin. Now, of course, Paul is going to rebuke him and it's encouraging the church to do that. But this letter was not written to this man. This letter is a rebuke for the church. This letter is rebuking the way that the church was was dealing with this man. The Corinthians stood accused, not because they had someone in their church acting out. The Corinthians here stood accused because they were arrogantly intolerating and accepting sin that was directly against God's word. He was rebuking them for not handling for not handling this sin in a God-honoring way. And then he adds to this and he lays before them, let him who has done this be removed from among you. So he's saying, church, you should be broken over the sin. You shouldn't be arrogant. And he adds, let him who has done this be removed from among you. So some of you are saying, okay, pastor, you had me until you got there. Um, what? <laughs> what is Paul saying? A brother who is in sin, we're supposed to just give him the boot? And where's the grace in that? Where is, I mean, 
Who does this? How do we do this? Is this not incredibly harsh? And I want to make it worse for you. Because as harsh as it sounds for us today, it would have been oh so much more harsh for the first century church. Because let me put it like this. When you get booted out of first Baptist, you can go to second Baptist. Right? There's no first Corinth, second Corinth. When you get removed from a church, you are removed from the church. This was a big deal. Paul does not say this lightly. He does not say, let him who has done this be removed from among you. He does not say this lightly. This is a massive, a massive statement. It's something that is called church discipline, and it is something that makes a lot of people in churches, um, it sounds like a foreign concept almost, doesn't it? Um, but here's what's happening in, this, in, in our text so far. Follow with me. There was an ongoing and open sin in the church that was unrepentant. And Paul says, you, we need, you need to address this as God's people, as God's church. You should be broken for it, and you need to address it. Now, we're going to unpack that here in a little bit, but I want to move on in, in Paul's writing here. In verse 3, for though absent in the body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with, with the power of our Lord Jesus. So Paul is here is describing a scene in which this notorious and well-known sin is, is going to be made, is going to be discussed openly in the church. And Paul says, hey, I'm not there. I'm not there in person, so let me just pronounce my judgment from, from here. When you're assembled together in the name of the Lord, this must be dealt with. This must be rebuked. This action must be taken. So Paul says, even though I'm not there, I, I'm sending my, my regard uh, via writing to you on this matter. Now, I want to push the pause button just for a moment, and I want to read a text parallel to this one. You don't need to turn with me here, but in Matthew 18, Paul here is echoing the words of Christ in Matthew 18. I want you to see that Paul's not just making this up. Uh, he is, Jesus is here, is dealing with a different type of sin in the church. He's dealing with a sin of a brother uh, against a brother. He's dealing with a private sin. However, Jesus is laying before his disciples, this is how you deal with sin in the camp. Jesus is laying this out before his disciples. Listen to this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens, you have gained a brother. Gained your brother. Verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. All right. This is the step that Paul and the Corinthian church was in. Paul is saying, hey, when you tell it to the church, here's my, my judgment on the situation. So this is, the, this is where the church finds themselves. Tell it to the church, and if he refuses even to listen to the church, Jesus says, verse 17, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. What's he saying? 
Well, he's saying the same thing as Paul said in our verse. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Paul is calling the Corinthians to do the same thing Jesus was calling the church to do in Matthew 18, to faithfully and lovingly address sin in the church. Now, let's jump back in, and I want us to go to verse 5. Verse 5 is probably the most difficult verse of this, of this chapter. And I want us to look at it because it is the most difficult in some ways, but it is also the most important verse of this chapter. Verse five, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Ouch. So that his spirit, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So when we read this, that was harsh, right? What is happening here? So, so he says, let him who has done this be removed from, uh, from you. And then Paul elaborates on what he means. He says, you are delivering this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Keyword, flesh. Keyword in this statement, flesh. It is the flesh that is destroyed. Paul says you're delivering this man over to Satan. You are letting himself kind of give over to his sin and rebellion, and you're letting himself give over so that the flesh, his flesh, may be destroyed. You follow me? So that the flesh may be destroyed. And what is the flesh? Uh, the flesh is, is uh, I, I think, of Galatians 5.19. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, uh, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. So he lists a ton and then blanket, and things like that. Paul says, this is the flesh, and Paul says to the Corinthians, for the destruction of the flesh. I want the flesh in my life to be destroyed, amen? And we find in life and in the scriptures so often that God will use, God, um, <laughs> God will often use even Satan's destructive works for his own good and his own glory. Paul says, you're delivering this man so that his flesh might be destroyed. And church, don't miss this because this, is, this next part is big. Biggest part here. Yes, the flesh will be destroyed, but Paul says, so that, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So that his spirit may be, this is the purpose statement, the why, the reason, the heart behind church discipline, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. The purpose of church discipline, the purpose of church discipline is restoration for the individual. It is restoration so that they may know the joy of salvation in Christ and on that day when they stand before him, that they will stand before him knowing him. That is the point. So up until this point, says Paul has said, your attitude towards sin needs to be one of brokenness. Your action needs to be church discipline, and all of this needs to be done for the purpose of restoration for that individual. Now, let's push this a little further on in the text. Why is this important for the church? Isn't it easier for us as the church to say, I don't want to do that. 
Let's just let them be them. They'll work it out. God will work it out in the end. Why do we need to go through this whole church discipline thing? Well, Paul lays that out in verse six. Your boasting, again, is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover land has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Here's the point. Sin in the camp. Sin in the, in the camp does not remain isolated. And what is accepted in the church becomes the church's new norm. It becomes the new norm of the church. Paul says it pollutes the entire church. We've seen countless examples of this in history where a church will accept things, most of the time with a good heart, one of, of, of in an attempt to be loving, I'll say that, the church will, will ignore certain commands and kind of compromise, but all of a sudden that compromise begins to spread like cancer. It begins to spread until what we are left with doesn't even resemble the bride. That, that Christ has called us to be through his word. Sin is not isolated. What is accepted becomes normal. Sin is serious, and we need to take it seriously. Now, not as the morality police, because no one wants that, um, right? But as a church, we stand on the scriptures, that we are bound to this. Let me say something very simple we can't bend on things that, for which this does not bend. We cannot. We cannot compromise on things that it doesn't compromise. So Paul sets before us, we need to be broken for sin. We need to take action toward it in the church for the sole purpose of restoration for the individual and for the purity and obedience of the church. And now he's going to make, he's going to finish our, our, our text with an important distinction. Um, in verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people, not at all meaning the sexual immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters, since you um, would need to go out of the world. <laughs> I love that statement because if you're looking to not associate with that, good luck. Good luck. Um, but Paul is making it very clear. I am talking to those who are in the church. This is an in here, not out there problem. When the world engages in this kind of behavior, it is accepted. It is who they are. It is normal. When the church acts like this, it should break our hearts. It should break our hearts. We as the church, let me say it again, are not our world's morality police. That is such a losing battle. Our, our goal, our mission given by Christ is not to go and to change our world's values. It's to point people to Jesus. We stand on that. We engage our world with the gospel. We point them to Jesus. But as Paul deals with the church, listen in verse 11, but I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears 
the name of brother. This is an in here problem, not an out there problem. We should be saddened by the overall direction of our culture that if, as it tends toward certain evils. We should be saddened by that. Absolutely, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be, but we must be more broken for our own sin. This is an in here problem. We need to be broken for our own sin, starting with ourselves, but we need to look in, start here, and address the sin in the camp. That's what Paul is pointing them to. And he says, your attitude towards sin needs to be one of brokenness. Your action toward it needs to be church discipline. The purpose of this is for restoration for the individual and purity and obedience for the church. All right. Why is that so difficult for the modern church to hear? Why in in the world is it so difficult for the American modern day church to wrestle with this? When you read this, when I read this, it feels as though it was written to a different world. A different time, a different culture. It felt foreign when I read this the first time. Uh, I mean, does this still happen today? Better question, should this still happen today? Should this Does the church still have the authority to do that? And when I say church, remember, Paul's not talking about uh, pastors and leadership. He's talking about church, us, collectively. Do, Do we have the authority to do what Paul is calling the Corinthians to do? Is this text still relevant? And if so, what does it look like? I want us to spend the remainder of our time this morning applying this text to our modern context. I want to spend the rest of our time answering these questions, not in a theoretical way, but in a a very specific way of how does this play out today? More specifically, how we as Stone Oak Bible Church, how do we engage in this in a way that honors the Lord? How are we, as the church, supposed to handle sin in the camp? That is a tough question. And I want to look at this. Um, I want to look at this, and I want to put before you, not only can the church engage in this still, not only is this this relevant, not only should the church seek to deal with sin, um, the church must engage in this. As unpopular as that may sound, the church must deal with this, must engage with this because of our love for each other, because our love for the Lord, because of our love for God's word, our love for Jesus. We together, we must engage in this. And so to that end, here's what I want us to do with the remainder of our our time. I want to put six things before you. They're going to build a little bit on each other. Um, As we think about how this literally plays out in our culture, how does this literally play out? As we think about this, I want to put before you these these things, these six things, um, as we struggle to handle sin in a way that honors the Lord and loves each other well. All right, you ready? Nope. All right. 
We'll get there. Number one, we must have a right understanding of God's word. We must have the right understanding of God's word. Uh, this may sound like a given. It is not. We need to know the heart of God. We need to know not what we feel is right and wrong, not what our culture feels like is right or wrong or accepted or should be accepted or should be tolerated. We need to know what God calls right and wrong. We need to know what God sets before us as, as his way for us. We need to know this. We need to know the heart of God for us, how he has called us to live. Knowing the truth, right and wrong, right from wrong, we must know this. And here's why this cannot be assumed. Because as the church, we are not calling people to subjective standards. We're not calling people to subjective standards that, that individuals put out. That's not our call as the church. We are called to know the truth and to all together seek to, to live by it, to mold our lives to it. That is our calling. We have to start here. If we are going to address the sin in the church and in our lives, we must have the right understanding of God's word. Number two, we must have the right understanding of the church. This is huge. If your view of the church is a cultural thing, if this is something that you come to on a weekend, you, you, you hear a, a message, you, you hear some music, you shake hands with some friendly people, if that is what church is, if that is your understanding of church, then the church has no real ground to do any of what we just read. That's just awkward, right? That's just, that's incredibly awkward. But when... When we understand who we are as the church, when we understand that we are God's people, God's family living and breathing, when we understand the church is not something we attend, it's not a building, it's not a program, when we understand that, when we understand that this is literally our identity and who we are, then not only does the church have the right to speak into our lives, but it is welcomed and it is needed because it is one of the most prominent ways that God chooses to bless his people is through his people. When we understand our role in the church, when we understand the church, it is far easier to wrestle with texts like the one we just read. Now, um, a big part of this, having the right understanding of the church, is church membership. Church membership. Um, I do not have the time to plumb the depths of this topic right now. Um, however, what we have done for you is we have, we have put together a short video teaching about membership. 
The question here is, is what is the church and what is our role in the church? So in this video, what we've tried to do is lay before you different viewpoints of church membership. Okay, different viewpoints. Uh, no matter what church you go to, they're going to fall in one of these camps. We're going to lay those out before you, and then what we're going to do is just kind of show you where we are here at Stone Oak Bible Church. And more than that, why we are where we are at Stone Oak Bible Church, why we hold to what we hold to. So we put this video together, and, and it's actually, it's good timing. It'll be in your email box in five minutes. Um, so, so if you receive the weekly, which the weekly is, we put out a kind of a video once a week on Thursday morning. It just lets you know what is happening at Stone Oak Bible Church. It's kind of the lifeblood of what is going on in our church. Um, if you get that video, then in five minutes, you're going to get a video um, with this teaching. And this is my hope, my prayer, is that it'll serve you well and kind of let you know where we are as a church. I realized something when we were preparing this. I realized that we never talk about church membership unless... It's with someone who says, hey, I want to become a member. That is so backwards. All right? So we're, we want to put this in your hand as a tool, as a resource. Um, if you do not get the weekly, sorry. No, I'm joking. Um, what you can do is just let us know by, in the box, the offering box in the back. If you could just take a card that has your name and email. That's all we need. Name, email. Um, I will get this to you. You won't get it at 11. So... You'll get it later, but that's okay. You'll still get it. So if you, if you don't receive the weekly and you would like to receive this, let us know in, in the back and we'll, we'll, get you, we'll get you connected. So we need to have a right understanding of God's word. We need to have the right understanding of the church. And third, we must have the right heart for each other. When we're talking about sin, we need to have the right heart for each other. We gotta guard ourselves against gossip, slander, jealousy, strife, because if we deal with sin in the church with that, what you're doing is not dealing with sin, you're creating division. We have to start with a right heart for each other, one of love, that we love each other like we love ourselves, that we love enough to, to pray for each other, we love enough to speak into each other's lives when it is not easy that we love enough, that we care enough to speak truth and love. Any conversation about sin in our life, it, it needs to come from this heart. It needs to come from this heart. Christ says, they're gonna know your mind by your love for each other. And there are very few circumstances that will prove this to be true than when we choose as the church to lovingly lean in and speak the truth in love. We need to have the right understanding of God's word. We need to have the right understanding of the church, the right heart for each other. And fourth, we need to have the right attitude towards sin. We've seen this in our text. Our text says we should be broken. We should find no joy in the sin of others. We should find no satisfaction in the sin of others. It should break our hearts and we should mourn. If you are not broken over the sin, you are in no place to speak into it. Let me say it again. If you are not broken over the sin, you are in no place to speak into it. 
Sometimes I think we feel like we're prophets of the Old Testament who just get to come and like wield truth and mow people over with these, like we think of ourselves like that. But here's the thing. We forget all of the texts that show us that the prophets were broken and weeping over what they had to do and the message they had to deliver. We have to be broken for sin. What breaks his heart, heart should break ours. And if not, you should wait. If not, you should wait and you should do a little inside work before you choose to speak. Our hearts must be broken over sin. And if it's not, we need to come to the Lord and repent for our apathy and work on us before we choose to speak. We have to have the right understanding for God's word, the right understanding for the church, the right heart for each other, the right attitude towards sin, and fifth, we must have the right goal in mind. This is big. We saw this already in, the church, in our text, but the goal of confronting sin is restoration through the gospel. That is it. That is it. We are seeking reconciliation and restoration. That is our goal. And if that's not your goal, when you address sin, you should not engage. Because if you do, it will do more harm than it will do good. Let me, let me compare it to this. Um, for those of you who have kids, it would be like a parent disciplining his children relentlessly, not because he wants anything or, or uh, not, not because he has anything in mind, just because he enjoys it. Like just rebuking and disciplining your kids because you enjoy it. That is not discipline, that is child abuse. Right? That is child abuse, discipline for our kids. We have the goal of restoration and of, of training them up so that they honor the Lord and follow. That is our goal. That is why we discipline. In the same way, to call out sin in the church just because you love doing it is not discipline. It is abuse. It's abuse. We have to have the right goal in mind. This is huge. The right understanding of God's word, the right understanding of the church, the right heart for each other, the right attitude towards sin, the right goal in mind. And when we have all of these things, when we have these things, when we have that understanding of God's word and we're confident in it, when we have a right understanding of the church and our role in it, when we have the right heart for each other, one of love, when we have the right attitude towards sin, when we're broken for it, and when we have the right goal in mind for the purpose of restoration and reconciliation, when we have these things in place, then, then, and only then, then, we together as the church can take the right action. At this point, we can take Jesus' words in Matthew 18 and we can apply it to our situation in wisdom and love. We've already said the right response to sin in the camp. We need to address it. This is why Jesus in, eight, in Matthew 18 lays this out. We address it, church discipline. But here's the reality. Too often, we run straight to action. Straight to the sin. We want to run to step six without stopping and asking ourselves, how am I doing in steps one through five? 
If we spent time and one through five, then number six would not be neglected and it would be done well in love and in a way that glorifies God and edifies his church. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for 1 Corinthians and I thank you that you have called us to be your people. I thank you that the church is alive and living and powerful. I thank you that in your word you said you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I thank you that we get to be your people, to be your body. And as the church, I just pray for us as as the local Stone Oak Bible Church, I pray for us that we lean into this, that we lean into our role as your people. God, I pray specifically for, for all of us in the room that you would give us courage, that you would give us wisdom, and most of all, would you grow our love, not only for you, but for each other. Because when we have love, when we have the wisdom and the courage, then, then Lord, we are going to, with love, live out this text. God, I pray that you break our hearts for sin. Start with us. Start with me. Would you break my heart for my own sin? Would you break our hearts for our own sins? And then, Father, would you break our hearts for the sins of of our church and our community? Would you break our hearts for what breaks yours? And, God, would you give us the, the right motivation that we are about this for restoration? Would you let us, here at Stone Oak Bible Church, love each other well? that we would choose to lean in instead of to lean away. That we would love each other well for your glory and for your good. And Lord, in all things, as we live this out, I pray that you just draw all men unto you, that they would see us and see our love for each other and know that we are yours. And, and by that, that they would... that our community would be drawn to the goodness of your gospel. And we thank you for that. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.